If you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you can find 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 as we conclude this series in the first and second epistles of uh, the Thessalonians uh, in a message titled, Get to Work. Of course, the series has been titled, Living in the Light of His Return. And as we live in the light of the return of Jesus, God does not want us to be idle. He doesn't want us to be like a car in neutral. He wants us to be moving forward. And that's what the, so Paul has this in mind because apparently there are individuals in Thessalonica who are so enamored with the return of Jesus, and we should be enamored with that, shouldn't we? Uh, So enamored with it that uh, they weren't doing, they weren't being very profitable. So he gets after them in this final word uh, to these individuals. And the Bible, remember Jesus said, he who is of the Lord hears God's word. So if you're of the Lord, you'll cue in and you'll key into the word of God uh, this morning. Many years ago, I pastored a church in northern Iowa, and God gave us a very a vibrant uh, ministry with the Hispanics that were coming up uh, from Mexico. Whether they were legal or illegal didn't really matter to us. We just wanted to minister to them, bring them the gospel. We had precious fruit that came out of this. And one particular uh, couple, their names were Vigilio and Melissa. They were very, very dear to us. They came to know Jesus as their Savior uh, they came up, and they were actually sending a bunch of their money back to Mexico to help some of their families. I have a heart for this situation. I look at it a little bit differently than most people do, probably because I was right in the throes of it, ministering to those individuals a number of years ago. And, uh, but the one, there was, a, there was a wealthy Christian, Christian, I'm putting quotes around that, uh, individual from out east who had come to our area, and he'd set up several businesses, and he employed Hundreds of Hispanics basically gave them peanuts. Uh, He was uh, known to have a ruthless reputation to his employees. And, uh, oh, oh, and by the way, he attended the church that I pastored. He was the last one there every morning and the first one out during the invitation song. Never stuck around to talk to anybody. One night we were talking with these dear Hispanic friends of ours who had come to Christ, and Vigilio was just expressing how difficult the work conditions and the environment that he had was. And, and he wasn't just complaining. It, just, it, was, just, it was just very harsh. And uh, overhearing this, uh, a deacon standing next to me said to Vigilio and Melissa, he said, you know, so-and-so, this wealthy Christian businessman from out east, you know, he's a brother. He actually comes to church, or he's actually a brother in Jesus. And Melissa looked at us and she said, I do not believe it. I made sure that I got a hold of that wealthy Christian businessman, sat with him in his rented room, looked him in the eye, laid down these accusations, and the words that came out of his mouth were, why would they complain? I'm providing a means for their living. God calls his people who really know him, wealthy, poor, or in between, to good works, right? For by grace are you saved through faith. This is not of yourselves. It is a free gift of God. Salvation is not a result of works, lest we should boast, right? But those who know him, we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus, finish the phrase, unto good works. We're not saved by good works. 
We're saved unto good works. And to the degree that we have them or don't have them are really the witness by which we can tell whether many of us are even saved. So what are these good works? What do they look like in a real Christian? The closing text in this passage tells us what they don't look like <laughs> and gives us a glimpse of what they should look like. And By the way, I'm reminded, I actually had another conversation when I was here in this church a number of years ago with another man who had a horrible reputation as a businessman. He also attended our church. I laid down the, ac- this, this, the reason I'm telling you this, I laid down the accusations against him at a lunch. He looked at me right in the eye and he says, he says I, def- I defy you to show me one thing I'm doing that breaks the law. I'll never forget, my thought was, is that the best we can do, is say that we're not breaking the law? In the words of James, my brethren, these things ought not to be. God's people are called to Christ-honoring good works. Can I get an amen? So try and vision the Apostle Paul as he writes his final words to these Thessalonians and uses, verse 17 says, I'm using my own hand to make sure you realize this ain't a forgery. And here's what he says. Now we command you. The word command is a military term as a superior officer to a lesser officer, okay? The same word used in verse 10 and verse 12. So he's using militaristic, purposely so, militaristic language here. We command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our commanding officer. He's our king. They keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. The word idleness is also a military term. It literally means to be out of order. Some of your Bibles translate the word disorderly. So it's a general term, not just for laziness, but any kind of a sinful life that takes you out of order. And not in accord with the tradition you received from us, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us. Because we were not idle, that is, we weren't out of order, but when we were with you, now watch him pile on these these expressions. When we were with you, we did not eat anyone's bread uh, without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day. In other words, they didn't punch a clock that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we, we would give you this command. There's that military term again. If anyone is not willing to work, notice it's not, it's not, this is talking about ability. If somebody is disabled, that's one thing. This is a The idea is willing, willingness. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not say it. And you can put an exclamation point. The Greek construction tells it. You can almost, even though Greek doesn't have an exclamation point, it's sort of implied here. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy buddies. Another play on words. You're not busy, you're busy bodies. Now such people we command and encourage in our Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and earn their own living. What a concept. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Now, he's sort of switching gears. He's talking to those who are not living idly, those who are actually living for God. Don't grow weary in doing good. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note, literally mark them. 
Mark that person and have nothing to do with them that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. The Thessalonians, if you've been with us, you know this is, I believe this is, Paul loved this church. He had an affection for this church like no other church. Remember, the word of God was going forth from these individuals while they're being persecuted. We've learned all kinds of things about the return of Jesus. But they weren't a perfect church. And some of them were lazy. Some of them were out of order. Some of them were not serving. Some of them had put themselves in idle. Just like, don't think idle. Think of just something that's idle. A car that's idling is not in gear. It's the idea here. They existed them, then they exist now. And by the way, just one political comment. I don't make too many of them, but here's one here. What our government is doing right now is, is not helping the situation by just indiscriminately giving out piles of money. Now, I'm not denying that many people need it, and perhaps some of you, and praise the Lord for that. If you can get it, if it'll help you, or your business, or whatever. But most of us or I, I'm going to venture that most of us, or a large percentage at least, do not. It's not helping the matter of people sitting idly. The Jews honored work. The rabbis had to take up a trade before becoming a rabbi. But the Greeks, and remember the Thessalonians, were heavily influenced by Greek society and Greek philosophy. Homer, who wrote the Iliad, said that he said that work was a curse. It was a curse from the gods. The Greeks despised work. They said work was for slaves, not for you and me. But that's just not right. That's not true. God has called us to good works. How good works make us more like Jesus is the question before us today. How good works make us more like Jesus? That's our question today, and here's how we're going to delve into it. And doing good works is being like Jesus. Let me show you what I mean. Right out of the chute, during the creation, Genesis chapter 2, here's what it says. In Genesis chapter 2, verse, uh, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day, God finished his, say it, that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his, that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, God rested from all his that he had done in creation. So in creation, God worked. It doesn't mean that he, was, he had to exhaust himself because he is inexhaustible. Amen? God is omnipotent. He doesn't tire, but he was working to, to do this. And by God, I, I mean Jesus, okay? Just to let you know. I know our triune God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but Jesus is our creator. I know this because in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, and not anything that was made, there was nothing made that was not made by him. That's John chapter 1. Jesus is your creator, and by him all things hold together. Amen? Paul says in Colossians. Jesus himself said, just before they picked up stones to try to kill him, he said, my father's working, so am I. We're working. Why am I saying this? Because work isn't a curse. And work was taking place before the curse ever entered into the world. 
that impacted everybody from then on in, including you and me. And everything in this world and in the universe has been impacted by sin. But before sin entered, before Genesis 3, God places Adam in the garden, and we're told the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to what? To work it, to keep it. Work isn't a curse. Now, what the cur- work is a blessing. Work is, is our wiring. Work is, it's natural for us to work. Get to work. That's the idea here. But do it for the glory of God. Now, sin did enter in, and it messed everything up. Would you agree with that? Anybody who ever, ever had a job you didn't like doing, raise your hand. Okay, we got a witness here. Man. Well, that's because of sin. Sin gave birth to all of these problems associated with work, like resistance. Don't you hate it when your work is you know, fighting against you? Imagine being a farmer. You're going to go out there in a, in a few months, and you're going to be out there, you're going to be killing weeds that come up so that they'll, you'll never have to kill weeds again, right? They're doing the same thing next year. The second law of thermodynamics tells us that scientific law th- says things go from order to disorder. It's all because of sin. Mel- everything malfunctions. You ever get those vehicle notifications, huh? This ain't working. Bring it in. And then things, things just break. Now, we're not told where the disorder was, where the coming apart was here in Thessalonica. A lot of people think it was just we, because Jesus, or Paul put such an emphasis on the return of Jesus, constantly teaching about Christ's coming, coming any time, coming imminently, be ready for his return, and you ought to be ready for his return, amen? But he's saying if you're going to live in the light of his return, you don't live like a lazy you-know-what. Live for God. Martin Luther said if I knew Jesus was coming tomorrow, I'd plant an apple tree today. That's, 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 that's the way to think right there. That's the way to think. Some people think that these people are just sort of in idle. Remember, the word means to be out of order. I can remember uh, just a year after I became a pastor, uh, a former NASA engineer uh, who was a Christian wrote a book, and, uh, and here's the title of the book, 88 Reasons the Rapture Will Occur in 1988. Boy, that'll capture your attention on it. It showed up in just about every evangelical church in the United States. And you think, well, how ridiculous. Of course it didn't happen. Of course it didn't happen. It's a long time ago now, but you might have thought it was going to happen. And a lot of people bought into it. A lot of people bought into it. A local pastor just 15 miles from where I was pastoring, a church identical in doctrine, not only bought it, he taught it to his people. Took his kids out of school on the window that this Nassau engineer predicted Jesus would come back. Now, that's a man living by faith. He took his kids out of school. Didn't work real well for him. And imagine the egg that he had on his face. And these guys are persistent. I think he wrote another one the next year, you know, whatever, in 1989, whatever. They've been making predictions since before, right after Jesus came. In fact, as long as Acts 1, verse 7 is in the Bible, don't make predictions. It is not for you to know the times or seasons. That's what Jesus said, right? So unproductive people have existed in every generation. And they did then, 
They do now. They're not busy. They're busy bodies. That's a play on words. God designed us to work. It's our dignity to work. Men, women, doesn't matter if you're out in the workforce or in the home. You ought to be working. In fact, when Titus addresses women, he says, you, he calls them, he, he uses the word for arduous. He says, you ought to be workers in your home. I, that's, I'm not trying to be chauvinistic or anything like that. I'm just giving you the Bible here. Okay. But he's saying it doesn't matter whether you're out there in the workforce or in the home. You ought to be working for Jesus' sake. Amen? So, I mean, I had a friend uh, back several years ago who um, he worked for a manufacturer that his father was the entrepreneur for. He built this place and it was, became a multi-million dollar place. And he worked for his dad. His dad died at an early age and he basically inherited it all and got a small fortune but he didn't like working there, so he just, they sold the company. He was sitting on a small fortune, but he was a man of God. He loved Jesus Christ, and he, he knew that he was so frustrated that he wasn't working. So you know, you know what he did? It's a real novel thing. He got a job. He went to work because he wanted to be more like Jesus. And if we're going to be more like Jesus we got to realize that doing good works is being like Jesus, okay? Secondly, doing good works provides a pattern to others, or for others, rather, to follow. Remember Jesus, when he would call people, he would give you just those two words, follow what? Follow me. Why would, what did he mean by that? He meant, I'm your pattern. Follow me. That's what they did. That's what it meant to follow the rabbi back in those days. You, you walked where they walked. You ate what they ate. You slept where they slept. You did what they did until eventually you got to do it on your own. We all need patterns, don't we? Don't we all need patterns? I mean, my wife gave me permission. The other day, she, she, she busted out an old pair of jeans, okay? And they were in perfect condition, but they weren't cool. So she wanted to make them cool. So she decided she was going to stress her jeans. But she wasn't quite sure how to do it. I said, well, you got to do what every scholar does. You YouTube it. And we found it. And some 16-year-old comes up and shows us how to stress her jeans out. We just followed her pattern. Worked, by the way. We all need patterns. That's what an apprentice does. An apprentice watches but he doesn't just watch. And this is the problem that some of us have. We're just so good at watching. We're not good at doing. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving your own selves. You'll never deceive others until you first deceive yourself. And so God designed us to watch and do. Did you see those two words imitate in verses 7 and 9? They're not the same word in the original. The first word is the word mimite. We get our word mimic. So when you mimic somebody, like a child mimics uh, his, his or her mom or dad, they're just doing exactly like a carbon copy, right, of what you're doing. And Paul says, we're here, you're, you're to imitate me. And that is what we do when we first start to apprentice. We just do what they're doing. Okay? Uh, but the other word for imitate is a different word. It literally means a stamp. It means an impression. It means a mold. It means more than just 
mimicking somebody, but you're watching because God designs all of us a little differently. We don't all have brains. We don't all have strength. We have something in between some of us, and we just operate in, this, in, in the realm in which God has gifted us. But go to work. Watch and do whatever pattern somebody has laid out for you. The person most instrumental to me was a man by the name of Tom Hammond. Uh, he was, he's with the Lord now, but he, for a year, I watched him. I watched, he taught me how to interact with people. He taught me how not to get ahead of God. He taught me how to sense the Spirit of God's working while I'm talking with people. He taught me how to know the Scripture, the theology of Scripture, memorize Scripture. I watched him. But it wasn't enough for me to watch. He would, he would have me do things. I remember we were golfing together one day, and we were both sharing the gospel with the guy, and he basically handed it over to me. And there was finally a time where he said, you can, you're done watching, never just go do it now. You can do it. And this is what God has called us to do. Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, right? Our cell group system is designed. It's supposed to be that way. We're not just, we don't just get into little groups. If you're in the same cell group here at Sailorville Church that you've been in for the last 10 years, there's something wrong going on there. The whole idea is that you develop somebody else. The people are growing in Christ. Your group should split off and become another group. Leadership is happening. Apprenticing is happening. Doing good works provides the patterns by which others can follow. In fact, uh, that same expression is used in Titus. If you turn over, I don't have this up on the board for you. So in Titus chapter, uh, well, pick any chapter because the whole, the whole book is about good works. Bad works in chapter 1, verse 16, he's talking about unsaved people. He says, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. Being detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Chapter 2, verse 7, look at this. He says, show yourself in all respects to be a model. That's the exact same word as in verse 9 in 2 Thessalonians 3. Same word, type, stamp, model, impression. To be an impression, to be a model of good works. This is what God has called us to. I don't remember what missionary it was, but I remember reading a biography years ago of, a, of this missionary. I don't, I, it might have been Adoniram Jetson. I'm not certain. But he, uh, you know, he went to his future father-in-law and said, you know, I'm gonna take, I, I'd like to have your daughter's hand in marriage. Uh, I'm going to take her to this God-forsaken place. It's going to be rough. It's going to be hard. It's going to be arduous. And, and, and you know, we might even die at a young age, but I want to take her there to, for the sake of Jesus. And the father looked at his daughter and said, do you realize where you're going? If, if you go with him? And her answer was classic, no, but he does. <laughs> and I want to follow him. That's the kind of attitude we should have. The desire to go wherever God wants us to go, do whatever God wants us to do, do it for the glory of God, and the entire time setting patterns, molds, impressions for others to follow. That's what Paul meant when he said in 2 Timothy 2, the things you've learned from me among many witnesses, these teach to faithful men who can teach others as well. Thirdly, and this is where we're going to close it up, doing good works provides a moral basis to confront bad works. 
okay? Because there are disorderly people that Paul talks about here. And again, the word doesn't mean, it does imply laziness, but it, it, it means anything that's out of order. You, if you're living in sin, you're out of order. If you're just sitting there in idle, you're out of order. Somebody ought to call you out. But not just anybody. Jesus did. Remember, we're trying to be like Jesus. If you read Matthew chapter 23, seven times he just excoriates the scribes and the Pharisees. He calls them whitewashed sepulchers. I mean, yeah. You're just full of dead men's bones, he says. You're a hypocrite. Those are strong words from Jesus. So how does, how does doing good works for the glory of God provide a moral basis to confront those doing bad works? How do, we go, how do we do it? How do, you, how do you go about confronting somebody who's out of order? Well, first of all, don't do it because you like to do it. If you like to do it, there's just something wrong with you. You're really creepy. But you ought to do it out of obedience to God. How do you do it? Well, the first thing you do, are you ready for it? You mark them. You mark them. You see that says in verse 14, note that person. That's the Greek word means to mark. Remember, idleness does not technically mean to be lazy, but it means to be disorderly. Probably implies laziness. <clears throat> well, you know, Jesus did this. Did Paul do this? Yeah, look what he says about Cretans. He says this in, in Titus. He says, one of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. I think, geez, Paul, those are harsh words. But notice how Paul responds to this phrase. This testimony is true. Look at that. I agree. Therefore, rebuke them sharp, sharply that they may be sound in the faith. Now, here's the point. I don't want you to miss it. Only spiritual, not perfect, only spiritual people can make such bold statements to others. Paul puts it right out there. He wasn't afraid to call people out. If you remember in Galatians, he called out Peter. No one less than the apostle Peter for his own hypocrisy. So idleness, what is idleness today? I think idleness today, in many ways, with social media the way it is, is idleness is creating not activist, but slacktivist. A slacktivist is a person who goes on social media tweets out stuff, puts stuff on Facebook, Instagram, whatever, and just throws, the, throws down the bombs, you know? Doesn't do anything about it. You just, there's, that's, the, that's the phrase that's been coined for you, if that's you. You aren't an activist. You're a slacktivist. I'd rather be an activist. For Jesus, that is. Because that's really a part of being idle. Idleness is people who entangle themselves in things with no eternal significance. Let that one sink in just for a moment. Idleness is when you enmesh, entangle yourself in things that have no eternal value. So if you know a brother or a sister whose business is all about their business, and not about the glory of God, not about the kingdom of God, not about the church of God, not about the salvation of souls, 
It's all for themselves and their own glory, amassing their own little kingdom. You know what Paul says? Mark them, mark them, and stay away from them. By the way, I have friends who have amassed a lot of money who give away a lot of money. They get it. They get it. They understand that they can't take their money to heaven with them. And they give it out for the glory of God. I think William Carey, the father, father of modern, modern missions, we talked about him just a week or two ago. He got it right. You, you should write this down. I'm not afraid of failure, he wrote. I'm afraid of succeeding at things that don't matter. How's that one? I'm not afraid of failure, Carey wrote. I'm afraid at succeeding in things that don't matter. So, mark them, and then isolate them. Look at verse 14. Have nothing to do with them. You say, well, that might shame them. Exactly. Exactly. The word means to avoid or stay aloof. God's people are to stand aloof from those whose walk is out of order. Now, this is definitely a form of church discipline, but not on the same order of Matthew 18 or 1 Corinthians 5, where you got immorality going on. He says, kick them out if they're unwilling to repent. Excommunicate them. This is a form of discipline, though, isn't it? Imagine being out of order. You're in the midst of the church, but nobody, they, you, you've been marked as a lazy person. You've been marked as an idle person. You've been marked as an out-of-order person. You're living in sin, and people don't want to hang with you. Why would they? And then they isolate themselves. That's a hard place to be. And thirdly, Paul says, confront them. Because the truth is, this is the hard part. Identifying somebody like that, not a problem. Steering clear of them, you got it. I can circumvent anybody. Happy to do so. Not very social anyway. Whatever. This is the hard part right here, confronting them. Solomon wrote, those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law contend with them. Have you ever read that? Now, as I said before, this should not be something you delight in or desire to do, or there's just something wrong with you. But this is a responsibility. There is a responsibility here. Uh, when it comes to laziness, the didact, which was a... Basically, it was, a, it was a, a teaching manual around 300 A.D. that was put out there. Some people thought it was supposed to be incorporated in Scripture. It's not. But it was back, it's, it's a very early manual of how the church was to function. And they said that if somebody came, came from outside, came from another town, came from another province, and they were a Christian, and they came into your home, you were to provide for them for two or at the most three days. If they were able to work, they should go to work after that. That's pretty good, because we're just entering into a ministry to the poor, but we want to be wise. We don't want to be indiscriminate, right? Look at verse 15. This is, proud. This is a key verse, sort of the capstone of all this. He says, don't count them as an enemy. You see that there? He says, don't regard them as an enemy, but warn, warn him as a brother. The word warn is the Greek word nutheo. If you've ever heard of the word nuthetic, you ever heard of nuthetic counseling? Okay, that's, this comes from this word. The reason I tell you the, the word, the word 
noose or is the word for mind, but the word nutheo means to, literally means, it means to place in the mind. And this is what a good counselor, this is what Kurt Graff does, this is what I do, this is what all of us do on staff, this is what many people in this church do. As we teach truth to others, we're taking truth and placing it in your mind. Because it's not enough for me to, to move your emotions. I can move your emotions, but that's not going to move you. I've got to get the truth into your head. Because when this is the essence of repentance. What does it mean to repent? What it means to repent is it means to change your mind. That's what the word metanoia means. It means to change your thinking. When you change your thinking, you change your course. You change your direction. This is wrestling season, greatest sport of all time. The, the state wrestling championships just concluded. The college is going at it. Big 12, Big, uh, big 10. The nationals in a week. Ah, I can't wait. But the, we had an expression in wrestling. If you were wrestling with somebody, you grabbed them by the head here. You, we call it a tie-up. You, you would maybe shuck them this way. Here is the expression. Where the head goes, the body will follow. Okay? Unless you're taking the head off. The body has to go the way the head's going. That's the way it is in, in, the, in the spiritual realm as well. When you confront someone, when you warn someone, you are placing the truth in their mind so that they see and they turn because if you know the truth, the truth shall set you, say it, free. But somebody's got to bear that truth. Somebody's got to play the Nathan. Somebody's got to play the part of, you are the man. Who's that? Who will that be? Well, it's not just anybody. Remember what Paul said to the Galatians? Look, brothers, if somebody is overtaken in a transgression or a fault, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. Right? Isn't that what he said? Actually, I tricked you. That's not what he said. He said, if somebody is overtaken in a fault, you who are spiritual, restore that person. There's the moral ground that I'm talking about here. Relative spirituality, not perfection. You're not in glory yet, but you ought to be walking with God. If you're walking with God, then you will have the moral ground to confront those who are not. So if good works is the aid and those who know Jesus becoming more like Jesus, then folks, thank God for giving you a mind, a skill, and a back to work. Amen? And get to work. And secondly, do your work and mind your own business. Did you see that there? Work in quietness. He said, he said earlier in 1 Thessalonians, mind your own business. That, that's the first time I've ever heard the expression, have you ever read that? Are you good at minding? Listen, if you're, if you're distracted, if you're idle, you can't mind your own business. You want to be in everybody else's stuff. And that leads me to the third point. Beware of the distractions that threaten to take your eye off the ball. Some of you are distracted by the politics of our day, by the fears of our day, by the health concerns of our day, you're concerned about your monies. 
And some of you are distracted by the sins of others. Look at verse 13. I just ran over it earlier. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. He's not talking to the idle now. He's talking to those who are spiritual. He's saying, you could get distracted if you're just going to focus on those who are out of order. Don't go there. Don't be distracted. What's the S? How do you do that? Remember what Paul said to the Colossians? If you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind, because that's where the playground is, right? It's not a playground. It's a battleground. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. That's how you get to keep from being distracted. And I have to tell you, I thank God for the many good workers in our church. I, I think of some of the older ones in our church, like Don and Mary Godwin and Woody and Karen Schwarzenbruber, Dave and Lori Tashner. The, these are just some of the individuals who are leading the way to show you and me to keep our eye on the ball. Don't get distracted by the conspiracies and all that muckety-muck that's out there. And my friend Arlen Thorson, who has helped me time and again when he sensed that I was going astray, thinking differently, thinking wrongly. We, we, we couldn't be more opposite, Arlen and I, but that's what makes us good friends. He helps me in that way. Fourthly, walk with God so that you can talk with people. That's, that's what spirituality is. You walk with God, walk so you can talk. Okay? Spirituality is your moral basis. By the way, that Christian multimillionaire that I confronted, the one to whom my Hispanic friend Melissa said to the point that he was a Christian, I do not believe it. He had no moral basis for his comments. He went to jail. He went to prison. The other guy I referred to didn't fare much better. They never do. You won't either. But I want to conclude with this, because some of you here, you need a better work than anything you could ever work out on your own. Because there is a work that will save you. Hear me clearly. There is a work that will save you. It's not your own, because it's by grace that we're saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of work, so that we can't boast about it, right? So what work will save you? The work of the cross. Jesus' work. Jesus, who came to this world, never sinned, died for you and me on that cross and rose again from the dead. And one day, someone came to him and said in John chapter 6, what must we do to do the works of God? Good question. Jesus said, here is the good work. Believe in him whom he sent. That's Jesus. Believe in his good work for you. If you've never believed in Jesus, embraced the cross that he died on your behalf for your sins that will threaten to send you to hell, and believe that he rose again, that's where it all begins. That's the work you have to believe. And if you do, and if you have, and if you are a Christian, then be a masterpiece. We are his workmanship, his masterpiece. Created 
in Christ unto good works for the glory of God. Amen? God, thank you for this time we could be together worshiping you, reading your words, singing your praises, and learning of the nobility of work, and in so doing, be like Jesus. Help us, we pray, Lord, those who know you, to stop being idle. If you're listening right now in prayer or watching online, and you would admit that you've been idle, you're just a car that's not in gear, you're not going anywhere, just making noise, a slacktivist maybe, you need to repent right now. You need to ask God to forgive you. You're not an example. You're not a model to follow. God, I thank you for the models, and there are many of them in this church worthy to be followed, not because they're perfect, because uh, their walk matches their talk. It's a good thing. Give us more of them that we might be more like you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.